HN Podcast with Miller and Dace. Happy Easter to each and every one of you as we record this on Easter. And going to hit a little potpourri of Big Ten and Iowa-related topics here uh, this week's podcast. And Steve, let, let's start out with something uh, straight from Hawkeye Nation. Um, and I don't have to make any apologies for that, being that it's the HN Podcast, but we don't oftentimes do that. Dave Schwartz wrote something um, on Sunday, uh, HN columnist Dave Schwartz, Basically, the gist of it is that the Iowa-Iowa State game had a good run, but it's over. Hawkeyes need to break up with you. Um, Let me read something real quick. The Big Ten has painted Iowa into a corner by making them play nine conference games a year. Like HN's Rob Howe explained, we want to make sure we still get seven home games, and frankly, that makes it difficult to continue the home-and-home series no matter how much the state enjoys it. It's not a slight at Iowa State. Just need to see other teams in Kinnick. Um, over the long haul, I, Iowa needs to try to set up home and homes against nationally relevant teams. We won't always beat them, but when we do, it will move us one step closer to the ultimate goal of a national championship. End quote. Frankly, I've I've long been I wouldn't necessarily a proponent, but maybe ambivalent is the right word. I, I could take or leave the Iowa Iowa State game. Frankly, if it goes away, the premise that Dave sets forth isn't necessarily. What I would champion, because Steve, I, I would say this, that in most of the last 30 years of Iowa football, Iowa, if the playoff era would have been in play, there may have been two years since 1985, including 1985 and maybe 2002, where Iowa wouldn't have had to go undefeated to have been in the final four teams which in today's realm, that's the teams, those are the teams that are competing for a national championship. So basically, in all but two of the last 32 years, Iowa's football team wouldn't have been competing for a national championship if it were, if it had one loss, it would have needed to have zero losses. So that aspect of why the Iowa-Iowa State game needs to go away, I don't agree with Dave on. Frankly, for me, Iowa just has far more far more to lose than it gains nationally from this game. But in the end of the day, Iowa's probably going to have to go undefeated in order to be in the Final Four. Well, I think we did this exercise last year during the offseason. We've done well, this been... every year during the offseason. No, not this discussion, but I mean the playoff discussion. I think, yeah. Didn't I go back? To, I, think I, went, I think I went back to 1990, yes. which is when we had Georgia Tech and uh, – uh, Colorado share the title because we had a bunch of teams share the championship in the 90s, which led to the, well, eventually, uh, first it was the Bowl Coalition, then it was the Bowl Alliance, and then it was the BCS, right? So yes. I went back and looked at all those seasons, and I think I found one year Iowa would make the playoffs, which would have been 2002. Mm-hmm. Um, and even then, wasn't it a debate against USC? Yes. Yeah, it would have been a debate as a second team from the Big Ten, yes. Uh, and so I think that... I think it, I think it's I mean it, it, listen every team's ultimate goal is a national championship. Iowa State's ultimate goal is a national championship, and when you haven't won a conference title since 1912, there's the, there's an ultimate goal and then there's a ta- an attainable goal. I would say Iowa is closer to obtaining that goal than Iowa State, but I would also say it's probably not a very attainable goal for Iowa either. So I think when you make that the basis of your argument, like I don't have a, I, I actually agree with this premise. The conclusion of we're looking for national championships, I think, is a little uh, jihadist wingish. You know, I think I, I think I expect that from Tommy from Des Moines on a on a phone call to my old show in May when I got nothing else to do but entertain this. You know, because it's either that or talk sports days, and nobody wants that, right? So, I mean, but in the real world, let's just keep it real here, guys. It's it's not happening, okay? But I think the premise of what Dave and Rob are saying is true. In fact. Um, as an Iowa State fan, I would go so far as to say I think the premise is true for them. And I go back to the old Lee Corso saying, at the end of the year, they don't ask you who, they ask you how many. And you look at uh, you know, the man Chuck Long once told me he was the greatest football coach he ever played for. One of my man crushes, Bill Snyder. What did he build a program on at Kansas State? Juco's and reschedules. In September, baby. Yep. Okay. And later on, once he had it well-established, then they did a home-and-home with USC or a home-and-home with Auburn. But, man, for about 10 years, they didn't. And, I mean, for like 10 years when they were good, they didn't play those kinds of games. So if you're Iowa State, really the reality is um, your number one goal is to get to six wins. 
and you're playing a round-robin, non-divisional schedule in, the, in, a, in a Power Five league. So the idea that you're going to get away, you're going to get away from, you know, from playing certain teams uh, during rotations, as you did towards the, in the McCartney era because of the Big 12, that's off the table. So you need to schedule as many wins as you possibly can. Iowa State's program, I don't think, is in a position where it needs Iowa every other year so they know they have at least one sellout. That was true for a long, long time. It's not true anymore. So I'm not really sure what's in it for Iowa State. Right. I mean, from a financial standpoint, from a competitive standpoint, you know, I mean, that's great. Okay, you played Iowa in September when you're five and seven after you lost that game. And you don't get 15 bowl practices and the national exposure of, 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 of an entire month of bowl publicity on ESPN. Who really gives a damn? You know what I'm saying? So I actually think both schools could make this argument. Now, I think it's kind of laughable for I would say we're chasing national titles is the reason for saying it. I mean, it's a little bit like, hey, let's not have some delusions of, of adequacy here. You know, let's slow the roll a little bit. But, for, but the premise of what Dave and Rob are saying about round-robin schedules and extra conference games is every bit is true for Iowa State. And so, I, you know, Iowa State fans can talk all they want about, yeah, it's, it, Iowa's one thing, but the reality is, would you rather be – I think this, it, this – it used to be for a long time. Iowa State fans would, would rather be 5-7 and seven and beat Iowa than 6-6 six and six and not beat Iowa. I don't believe that is true anymore. And, and so I, I think that this, the, the goal is if Baylor can compete for championships, and, and Baylor's a program that when, when I was around the program very closely with Mac, we used to chalk that up as a win. When I used to sit around with Iowa State coaches at WNL the schedule, I'm at, I mean, this is, is going to blow the mind of younger listeners to our podcast. But it wasn't too long ago, man. I used to sit around at WNL the Iowa State schedule with coaches there at the Jacobson building, and Baylor was a win. And now, you know, they're a national program, this, this ongoing scandal notwithstanding. If you can do it at Baylor, I don't know why you can't at least, maybe you can't compete for the conference championship. I don't know. You know, but can you at least get eight or nine wins? Well, if Baylor can win the Big 12, Iowa State can get to eight or nine wins. Is it easier or, or, or harder getting to eight or nine wins playing, um, you know, uh, Miami of Ohio the second Saturday at home or Iowa? Well, duh. I think that's pretty easy. Uh, so I think I think both teams. That's what I find fascinating about this is I think both teams could actually make this argument and have very valid points. Yeah, and now that you say it like that, I totally agree with you. Um, I mean, let's also, let's also John go back to the '70s when I when the legislature forced Iowa to play Iowa State. All right, Iowa State was a much it ended up by the time the game being played again. And really going into the early 70s under Johnny Majors, Iowa State was the better program. But they really weren't nationally relevant. I mean, they were the better program by like going to like the Peach Bowl. But they weren't a nationally relevant program. They actually ended up getting to their zenith when, I, when, the, when the series started under Earl Bruce and they were top 20 teams. And Iowa, both, it, 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 on some level, what I'm trying to say is both of those programs needed this game. You know, the, the only way Iowa and Iowa State were going to get on ABC back in the old days of football, when, the, when, you could, when not every game was on and you were contractually limited to how many times you could be on TV, the only way both teams were going to get on the second week in September on ABC national television, the way they did in 1977 where both programs were, was to play each other, right? And so that's how they got on television. That's not true for either team anymore. So I think, I think everything, although Iowa's goals traditionally should be higher than Iowa State's, everything about why the game is bad for Iowa's bottom line and, and, and their ultimate goals is also true now for the Cyclones. Agreed. I, I wouldn't mind seeing it be a, a home and home every four or five years, meaning you know, Iowa and Iowa State play this year then they don't play for five years. Then five years later, it's at the other school's place. And then, then five years after that, it's at the other school's place. I, I think that something like that would add more juice to it um, and would make it maybe even more dramatic from for the fans who don't want to see it go away because they do love the annual you know, smack talk and rivalry aspects of it. Um, I'd be fine with that, but I, I'm just – to me, the the pain, and maybe it's more due to the time I spent in Des Moines. Um, the pain of Iowa losing that game far, the risk of the pain far exceeded any joy of victory for me as a fan. Um, well, you're you're in the situ- you were in the situation that I am in with Iowa and Michigan. 
okay? I can't win, all right? If Michigan wins 50 to nothing, I have to act as if the game never occurred, I'm a, or otherwise I'm a douchebag, no matter what I say. If Iowa wins 13 to 12, then I have to emaciate myself as if we were in, it was that, that we didn't even belong in the same field with them. Otherwise, I'm a douchebag again. And I get that. It's where I live and who my relationships are. And so that's why I hate when they play each other. That's kind of what you're describing, is it not? Similar. Yep. And, you know, one of the benefits of living in Tulsa is I don't have people making runs at me anymore other than on Twitter. And frankly, if they get too obscene, I just block them. So I don't mm-hmm. have to live with that as much as I did there. Before I moved to Des Moines, I never had any idea of the, you know, intensity of it. And then once I lived there, I got it. Now that I'm away from it, of course I remember it, but it's more collegial now because the people that I interact around the Iowa Iowa State game are people that I'm friends with. And I'll say this, I mean, you you follow me on Twitter, but you know, I'm not saying that you read every one of my tweets. I haven't run any Iowa State smack probably since September. And I don't know if I ever told you this reason. I listened to um, Ben Bruns on the Mike Haloss podcast the week of the Iowa-Iowa State football game this past September of 2016. And during that podcast, I listened to Ben tell a story about how Iowa fans in his own little small town were, I can't remember specifically what they said or did, but it wasn't pleasant. It just made me think, my gosh, these, these are people from his own town, and, he, and he's going to Iowa State, and they can't even be happy for him. And, and they're taken away from the moment of something huge that when everybody is from a small town, everybody feels an accomplishment when somebody does something big like that. Mm-hmm. And these people, because of their dislike for another team with another uniform, they basically shun the guy. And I, I listen to that, and I'm like, man, th- that is just whacked out, jacked up. Because I come from a small town. So I just, I, 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 t- I texted Ben, uh, I tweeted Ben a note and said, hey, man, I listened to that. I think I'm going to back away from the smack talk. And he, he tweeted some kind of General Akbar uh, tweet at me like it's a trap um, and kind of chuckled. But I, I haven't. I, I've, I've really, and maybe it has a lot to do with not being there. Maybe it has to do with I'm 46 now. I don't know. Maybe it's everything. I just don't get as into the rivalry as I used to. Well, I don't have a problem with smack talk. What you're talking about there is just... I mean, that's just, it's inexcusable. Okay, let, yeah, let me say it like this. I, I'm, not, I'm not going out of my way to just be an instigating a-hole the, I hear way, the way that I used to do a lot just for the sake of being an instigating a-hole. Listen, the last few years, I have listened to Sound Off like once or twice. And it's when Iowa State beat Iowa in football. <laughs> Right. That's never going to change. That's pretty much the only times you listen to it when I was on it. (laughs) That's never going to change. Still the greatest radio, no matter who's hosting the show. (laughs) But, you know, you've noticed probably as I've gotten older and I've just lived here now. I I moved here in 1995. So I've lived here for over 20 years. I was born here, but I moved around a lot when I was a kid and spent most of my teenage years in Michigan. That's how I became this obnoxious Michigan fan. Um, But. You know, I've spent 20 years now, all, all, my entire adult life I've spent here. That means all of my primary relationships are here in Iowa. People I go to church with, people I love, people I hang out with. And I'd say 60, 40, 65, 35, those people are Hawkeye fans. And after a while, you know, this is one of the reasons why in, in, in my other life, This is why when I get invited to go on CNN, I go, or PBS, I go, or MSNBC, I go. Now, not every time. There have been times I've been invited, and when I asked them what the topic was, it was clear they were not looking for a legitimate conversation. They were looking for a proxy, a setup. You know what I'm trying to say? They wanted me to You were going to be their token token lady. Yeah, and I've said no. I've actually turned down several TV cable news hits so far this year because that's pretty clear what they wanted. But – the reason why, unless that's the case, I will do it is because, you know, it's harder to demagogue people on both sides now, not just your own, but the other side. It's harder to demagogue people when there's a personal connection. Mm-hmm. It's just harder. 
And, uh, um, you know, early on in my sports career, my radio sports media career, you know, this is why I, I think I've told this story before, but it's why I made such an investment in my show in the Iowa and Iowa State rivalry, because I needed to know the people at both schools to care on a personal level, because I just didn't grow up here and I was never going right. to care on that level the way but my audience deserved and needed me to care. And so that's where I got to know Kirk Ferentz and had my annual, you know, lunch with Norm Parker at Media Day. I looked forward to every year before they would screw me and not let the technical connection happen where Norm would just sit there and, you know, and we just trade old Big Ten stories. And I looked forward to that, you know, and as the years go on and I just have so many people I care about that get a lot of a lot of joy out of success of Iowa sports that because of that personal connection. I'm not really rooting for Iowa any more than I ever really have or have it. You know, if you, if 10 years ago, I think it was the 08 season when Michigan went out, had that crappy three and nine year and Iowa beat Penn State. You're over here praying in my basement that uh, that, that that game went through, you know, or the or the 09 year when the Iowa made that run. I was kind of like, you know what? You know, as long as you don't beat the teams I care about, a lot of people I care about want this to work. So. God bless you. I hope it happens for you. I got nothing. I got nothing personal against it. And so I, I, I don't still own anything Iowa. I likely never will. I don't own anything black and gold. I likely never will. But on the other hand, you know, when you have a lot of people that you care about that really care about something, it, it, you just don't get as much joy out of watching it collapse as you did before you had that personal connection. Right. And I think that, that that has something to do with this as well. Right. I've told very few people about that that time in your basement. Um, and we're far enough removed from it now. I, I don't mind. I, I can't remember if I prayed. If I did, because I, I abhor that because I know God's got way bigger things to do. But at that particular juncture of my, um, of my life, I really needed Iowa to win that football game so that Iowa could still be in a hunt for the Outback Bowl. You needed a little 6-2 and even. Uh, yeah, I needed a little, um, <laughs> I don't know how the heck I'm going to pay my bills for the next six months I of my you. family's life. Well, there's nothing more 6-2 and even than that, if you know what I'm saying. Brother. Yeah, I, I don't even saying. know, I still don't know what that is, but sure, whatever. Yeah. Um, anyway, moving on. Let's. Um, that, that, that being said, I, I, you know, let's, let me add one more thing to this conversation. Yeah. Tell me what you think. If I were Iowa and Iowa State, I love your idea. I'd make it a quadrennial event. Every four or five years, we play home and home. Like, and I, I'll say, for me as a Michigan fan, I, I detested the Notre Dame rivalry. I, I really loved what Ohio State did, which is we're going to play Texas home and home. We're going to play USC home and home. We're going to play Washington home and home. We're going to move our, our, our team around the country in home and homes, okay, that are still televised events. Because the problem you have when you play Notre Dame home and home every year is that becomes another rivalry game. And and so there's lingering animosities, revenge that you know what I'm you know what I'm saying? And that 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 makes that a much tougher game than it does even when you're just playing them every now and then. And that's kind of happened with Iowa and Iowa State, too. So if I were Iowa State, what I'd be doing is how do I schedule a win? How do I get to six wins? Uh, How do I get to and then once I get consistently to six wins, how do I get to seven or eight? How do I get to eight or nine? If I'm Iowa, what I would do is if, I, if, if really being a playoff team is something I think is an obtainable goal, I need to get there in stages then. All right. And what I would do in stages is I would find like I was played Pittsburgh a lot, you know, or a couple times in rotations, home and homes. I would find teams on that level that are on my level in their power five conferences that are in places I need to be able to recruit. And 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 I'm playing those teams, you know, maybe I don't play Florida and Florida State, although maybe nowadays Miami's not what it was when Iowa played them in, you know, 1992 or whenever that was. So but maybe I play South Florida. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, you know what I'm saying? Another team that can be ranked and and doesn't hurt my, you know, my my strength of schedule component, Um, like playing a Pittsburgh or, you know, if I want to recruit more in Texas. Maybe I, you know, maybe I play a Texas Tech or a TCU, not necessarily a Texas or a Texas A&M, but I start there. I start there. I start moving my team around the country. I have three games. That's my one home and home. The other two are definite wins that I play at home. 
And I mix Iowa State in there every four or five years, and they do the same. Because for Iowa State, it, it, it's, it, it's, I've got to go back to schedule myself six wins. For Iowa, it's about i got to raise my national profile first. And then once that happens, we can have the conversation about what does my schedule then need to look like to be a playoff team. Yep. Don't disagree with any of that. Um, you spent a good deal of time, certainly a lot more time than I have, watching um, spring football events from around the Big Ten. The Big Ten Network has shown some coverage of several of them. I know you took in the Ohio State and the um, Michigan spring games and maybe some uh, activity from some other ones. What are some of your big takeaways from what you've seen thus far on the schools that you've seen? Maybe a couple big picture things that stood out to you. I've watched at least portions of every one, every team the Big Ten has featured thus far. Um, you know, so let me um, let me take them maybe in the order that I can remember them, and then if I forget a team, you can tell me. The one team I'm not seeing anything from was Penn State, uh, that's played so far. But I think I've in Illinois, because Illinois had like a spring game like March 5th or something. I don't know when they started spring practice, but Illinois because it was still in the middle of March Madness and Somehow Penn State's got overlooked um, in the rotation. But other than that, every other Big Ten team that has uh, played one so far, I have seen. Uh, I'll start with Northwestern. What really stood out to me, um, just how laid back and confident uh, they were as a program. Uh, and. It's just odd, you know. It, it's still it's still weird to me. It's been 20 years since Barnett took the purple to Pasadena, but if you remember how bad they were when we were kids, it's still hard to have this era of Northwestern football where they're respectable and contending. It's is it hard still to resonate for you? It still is for me. Does, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Maybe we should maybe we should be over it now. I mean, they. I'm over it. They've beaten they Iowa one too many times. I'm over well, it. That, I hear that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. That's a good point. Um, but uh, I really, what really stood out to me was they're really, they really, you really got the sense that they think this is a season they can take the next step. That with the way Clayton Thorson, who at this time last year, there was a lot of questions about him. His redshirt freshman season, he was not very good. And last year, um, he, I mean, statistically, he took a giant leap. Now, was that because of the weapon they had at receiver? Or did they have that weapon at receiver because Clayton Thorson took a giant leap? We'll find out this year. But they have Justin Jackson back, who's as good a running back as there is returning in the league. And uh, they lose Anthony Walker and a couple guys defensively, but they still have a lot of defensive guys coming back. And so you just really – what really stuck out to me about Northwestern, John, if you want to start with them, is – um, I, I, what's the old Jim Zaba line? There's a quiet confidence. Quiet confidence State. emanating yeah, yeah, from we're, there. We're playing number one Florida State with its 27 NFL draft picks this weekend. But uh, there's a quiet confidence over there in Iowa City. Um, uh, but did, you did get the sense there is a quiet confidence there, John, at Evanston, that they think this might be their year to maybe take a step that they've not been able to take in the past. Hmm. Um, I know that you've taken in um, – Michigan and Ohio State were the big points from those two. Watching Michigan and Ohio State, uh, watching them back to back, you really got a sense of the differences in the programs and their approaches. And it reminds me of what we had for several years uh, in the Pac-12, well, then it was still the Pac-10, with Stanford and Oregon. You know, when Oregon was really humming with uh, Chip Kelly, and, the, and, and then, you know, they had, when uh, Helfrich took over and he had Marcus Mariota, and he had the program, the physical program that Stanford established there, originally with Jim, and then David Shaw's taking it to a different level. It looked like that watching the two teams. I, 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 think, I think Michigan's players, from what I saw, I, I thought there was a noticeable size difference. And I, in fact, I was shocked at the way Michigan looked physically. I mean, I was stunned because they lost 17 starters. They looked on the field like a team returning 17 starters. That, that did not look to me, uh, in terms of the eyeball, like a team returning 17 starters. Now, they may not be returning a starting quarterback based on what I saw Saturday, because Wilton Spade was U-G-L-Y, you ain't got no alibi, you ugly, hey, hey, you ugly. Nine out of 26, 78 yards, 
two picks and a pick six. And the pick six he threw was not just in the double coverage, but about three yards behind the guy who was the receiver. I mean, he looked like he didn't belong on that field. Uh, so I don't know what was going on. I don't know if it was – now, Michigan probably blitzed more in a spring game than any team in the history of intercollegiate football, probably because they had a true scrimmage. They drafted their players. And whenever you do that, we've seen this with Iowa scrimmages in the past. Whenever you do that and your offensive line is not the same five that play with cohesiveness during the year, you're going to have protection breakdowns, right? Because you got guys that aren't used to playing with each other. Mm -hmm. However, the protection breakdowns were not as prevalent – when the backup quarterback, Brandon Peters, who was a highly recruited kid a couple of years ago, they weren't, they weren't as prevalent when he was in there as they were when Spate was in there. I was very concerned by the way Spate looked. But physically, their, their problem is not going to be their guys aren't developed and ready to compete. I mean, if Michigan is not, it does not compete for a Big Ten title this year, it's going to be because of experience. Experience still matters because physically, I thought, I thought, frankly, physically, they had more guys that passed the eye test than what they had last year. When you watched Ohio State, diff, just a different program, more of an emphasis on, on lateral quickness, um, uh, spread formations. They looked, but man, they looked so stinking athletic. And you could tell Urban Meyer wanted to make a point because they were going out there and throwing the ball and not just throwing those side lateral swing passes to Curtis Samuel, make a guy or two miss and get 15 yards. They were throwing the ball down the field, which Urban said was their point of emphasis throughout the course of uh, the offseason because of the way that they ended the year where they couldn't throw the ball down the field against Michigan and then they couldn't do it against Clemson in the playoff. It was clear. I mean, when, you're, when, you're, when your backup, Dwayne Haskins, is out there you know, looking like Brad Banks in the this, this spring game before he was running up to the Heisman Trophy. It is clear that Urban Meyer wanted on tape opponents of Ohio State to say, oh, Shinola, they can throw the ball this year. And so when you watch those two teams, I think what also should worry the rest of the Big Ten is when your two power Cadillac programs both play true scrimmages where they, uh, where they, where they drafted players. So it's not what I mean by that for people that don't know. There's a several different ways you can do a spring game. One of the ways, and this is what Dan McCarney would do, ones versus fours on one squad, ones and fours on one squads, and twos and threes on the other. The other, and a lot of times only the uh, only teams that are uh, really comfortable in their depth or are considered top tier teams will do this, and that is the player draft. Uh, and that, and that, and when you do, because the problem is if you do that player draft, you want to be careful because you know every time one of your guys makes a play, it's at the expense of one of your guys. So you don't know if your guys are that good or your guys are that bad, right? Mm -hmm. So um, if you're gonna do that, what you wanna see is a close game. Because if you're gonna have a draft, you don't want one team to blow the other out. That means you might have a depth problem. Both Michigan and Ohio State both had games that went right down to the wire with, with both of their units. And when you watch the rest of the games, like I watched Nebraska's game too, Nebraska's frontline players looked like they could play for Michigan and Ohio State. But man, the, the drop off between their ones and twos, John, yikes. It reminded me of what Farron said last year, our twos are most people's threes and our threes are most people's fours. Remember that when he said that, we freaked out? Yes. Okay. That's what it, now, now I don't know what they're saying in Nebraska, but that is what it looked like. I mean, the difference between the twos at Nebraska and Michigan and Ohio State is noticeable. And if it's noticeable to the naked eye on screen, I can't imagine what it looks like on field level when you see it in person. Now, I do think amongst Nebraska's quarterbacks, I thought the two-lane transfer threw the ball really well. And yes, people are going to say when they hear me say this, Steve, it's a spring game. That is my point. My point. My point is if, you, if, if, if you're going to make a prediction in 2002, hey, I think Brad Banks is going to go from being on the bench to running up to the Heisman Trophy. Then you know what I want to see in the spring game? I want to see the dude throw for like 400 yards and dominate. What did he do in the spring game? Throw for 400 yards and dominate, okay? When, the, when it's set up for you to be successful, you need to be. When you're not, that's the problem. And so we heard it in Nebraska, this Tulane kid that came in, this Lee kid had a gun for an arm, NFL kind of arm, they can run that pro-style offense. Well, then in the spring game, I better see that, and I did. At Michigan, what I'm concerned about is I did not see uh, their quarterback take a step. I, in fact, I saw him take a huge step back. 
At Ohio State, what you did see is that what they emphasized throughout the spring, that they were going to throw the ball down the field, was true. Now, the positive at Michigan is Don Brown has said all offseason, this will be a faster and more athletic defense than the one he had last year. What I saw in the spring game, that was true, too. At Nebraska, the other thing to keep in mind about their spring game, they aren't running the defense yet that they're going to run in the fall. They brought Bobby Diaco in. He's a 3-4 guy. They still played the 4-3 that they played last year. So we, we don't really know yet how they're going to adjust to that because that wasn't on display in the spring. What do you think of um, Riley's explanation or whatever he said that they played the 4-3 because they didn't want to put any 3-4 on tape for people to have? I don't have a problem with that. I think that's I think I think there's some wisdom to that. And I think if it's also, you know, what I like to say in politics and my day job is there's the there's the real the right reason people do things and there's the real reason. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So that might be the right reason not to show it. The real reason might be it looks a little ragged right now, you know? And so either way, I think that's perfectly fine. And right. I think that's just it's a statement of where your program is at. You know, I think I think I think Michigan I think, I think you look at Michigan and Ohio State, I think their coaches wanted to send a message. I think Jim wanted to send a message. Oh, they're way down. They lost all these guys. You know, they're going to take a huge step back. So, so Jim's, Jim's FU message was, here's what we're going to do. We're, we're going to take it. We have a, the last two years, they did not have a true scrimmage at Michigan because they were concerned about numbers. Now they've lost all these players. You know what? Let's have a true scrimmage. I'll throw my guys out there. You tell me if they look like a bunch of ragamuffins. And I think, I think, I think Urban Meyer's FU message was, you know what you guys think we can't throw the ball down the field? Watch this. Now, I don't think Nebraska's at a point yet that it can have an FU message because of where their program is at. So I think it kind of comes down to where your program is. John, don't you? I think that's where your priorities are. Yeah, you're probably right about that. Harbaugh didn't want to talk to reporters afterward, and, of course, that was a little side story, but uh, whatever. Um, yeah, I think, I think he just does things to jack with the media unnecessarily. And, and he also had his two coordinators out there, and they, they did a 20-minute press conference. And frankly, they know more about what's going on probably with certain players and are going to be, give you more specifics on individuals than Jim. My guess is Jim may not have wanted to go out there and talk about why did Wilton Spate look like that. Okay, That might be part of it. It also might have just been Jim just decided, you know, let's just jack with these guys because it's a Thursday. You never know with Harbaugh. You never know. Right. I mean, it does, he, does, he did all the conference calls. He did an on-field interview after the game. Right. So what, who knows why? Did you did, – did Michigan – Michigan State wound up having something, right? They did. They did. Um, I watched it, and it was, it, was, it was really awkward, you know, because you couldn't help but notice 15 guys either that were – that, that started the offseason on the two deep either did not attend the spring game or were in civilian clothes on the sidelines. I've never heard of anything like that. Okay. Some of them, a couple of them, like John Reschke, who was their best linebacker, apparently got kicked out of school for some kind of racial incident. They're not really being specific about it, but that's the illusion. Then, of course, you have the sexual assault investigation. Now there's another one, by the way. There's another sexual assault investigation with the football player going on now that just happened in the last couple of days. That thing, you know, I don't know what they could have done differently because they got laws and everything else. I do know this. If I was L.J. Scott's parents and I had off-season surgery that the school didn't tell people about, and my kid's out on the sidelines with some of the guys suspected in that Title IX investigation, I'd be really pissed off about it. Yep. Okay? Really pissed if I was his parents, getting lumped in with all those other guys. I just don't know what the what the NCAA rules and the law allow you to do differently, you know. But um, it's a mess. And when I watch them play, they just physically don't look the same. They just don't. They just they just don't look like the program they were three, four, five years, two, three, four, three years ago. Hell, two years ago they were in the playoff. What am I thinking? Right. They don't. They just don't look like that. They just don't. I agree with you. I think that were I a parent, you and I both had the same reaction before we talked with each other about it. That would have infuriated me. And I think that there is still, there is a dark cloud over that program. And there's no question that D'Antonio built something that uh, will be remembered, long remembered at Michigan State. Um, five out of six years where they won at least 11 games, I think. And that is a heck of a, you know, on-field accomplishment. But I though, though that happened when Michigan was having one of its worst, worst periods over the last 60 to 70 years. And I don't think it's a coincidence. 
And I don't think that Michigan State is going to approach anything like what they've done in recent history. I, I think that playoff uh, that playoff run of a couple of years ago where they beat Iowa in the Big Ten Championship, I think that's their last time for a long time. You know, you and I talked about this before off the air. After that game, when L.J. Scott scored that touchdown, it was fourth and goal, right, on the goal line stand there. And after that game, Mark D'Antonio walks out there in his post-game interview on national television and says, you know, I'm not really ashamed to say this, but I really think we have the Lord's favor. What's their record since he said that? I think they've won three games, haven't they? Yeah. The next game they lost, was it was it 38 nothing or something like 49 nothing to Alabama, something like that? The yeah, then they went 3-9, and nine, right. so they're 3-10. They and, ten. Three and nine. Yeah, they're 3-10 and ten since then. 3-10 and ten since then with... Um, you know, you've got the, 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 the trainer scandal molesting girls for decades. The What's gymnastics the trainer. Program? Yeah, the gymnastics trainer. What's going on in the football program? Um, guys, getting, guys leaving school because they're dropping racial bombs in the locker room. I mean, it has been an absolute mess. If they have another losing season, is he in trouble? Probably, because it makes you wonder if, you know, Mark Hollis, the athletic director, is he in trouble with all these things taking place under his watch? Is, is the president going to be in trouble? Is, are there, is this investigation, this sexual assault investigation going to be a lot more far-reaching than just, you know, just basketball or just football, rather? So I, I guess... And for, for people in our audience that don't know the, the way the state of Michigan works, you know... Michigan State needs to be able to be competitive. They have to be able to beat Michigan for the elite level. I mean, Michigan as a, as a state produces 25 to 40 Division I prospects a year. But, but in a good year, in a really good year, it might produce 10 that are capable of playing in the Big Ten. Okay? Most of them, a lot of them are MAC level kids. And at Michigan State, if they're going to be an elite program, they've got to beat Michigan for most of those kids. They didn't get any of them in the class of 2016. They lost them all to Michigan. Hmm. And in the class of 2015, they got the number one kid, Donnie Corley, who's the top prospect in the program. The problem is Donnie Corley is one of those kids that is being investigated in that sexual assault investigation. Hmm. The coach that was suspended, Curtis Blackwell, he's the big summer camp guy in Detroit. Okay, the, 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 He's basically the runner. They hired him to be on their staff because he's the big he's the big Detroit high school guy. Right. Well, if 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 if, if he, he's the coach implicated in this, do you know what kind of recruiting ramifications that has? That's devastating. I mean that that is at, you know, Michigan State's not a school that, you know, they're not gonna they're not gonna go down to Georgia and beat Georgia for kids like Michigan's already done for the twenty eighteen class. If they if they if they are locked out of Detroit because of a scandal like this, they're freaking toast. Like John L. Smith toast. I think people are – so if you don't know the particulars of the players involved, you know, you, you, this, is, this has the potential to be much more devastating than I think even most people watching from the outside believe, John. Don't disagree with you. And Penn State's rising as well. So um, hope you save the T-shirts. Um, Minnesota I found fascinating. I watched their spring game last night. And you know what I found fascinating about it? Um, it that they hired Tim Brewster again. Did they? I did not hear that. Are you kidding me? Well, yeah, he's their head coach. Oh, P.J. Fleck. I love me, P.J. Fleck. I love him. I, I am burnout over him. The, uh, everything's elite. I mean, Minnesota's football. Thanks for the elite interview, Rick Pizzo. Elite this, elite that. You know, I, I get that P.T. Barnum has to put butts in the seats. Otherwise, the circus doesn't make money. I get that. I get positive thinking. I get faking it to making it, but man, he has already worn me out. You know, I here, I'll give you, I'll tell you why I like him. One, all this this, this um, row the boat stuff comes from the loss of this their son six years ago. Right. Uh, so there's a this isn't just a shtick. There's a testimonial here. Two, the guy's really really serious about his faith and impacting people on a faith and spiritual level. And three, what I, the, the other thing I like about it is he turned down Purdue and, I, and a couple of other jobs, I believe, because they wanted him to leave 
in December before the bowl game. And he said, no, you guys want to talk to me the day after the bowl game? Fine, but I'm finishing the job with this school, with these kids. They came to me when we were 1-11 my first year, and here we are, 12-1 in the Cotton Bowl. I'm finishing the job. And Purdue didn't want to abide by that. And, and, he, and he fulfilled his commitment to his players, not knowing Tracy Clays was going to blow himself up at Minnesota, which right now is a much better job than Purdue. And lo and behold, he did it the right way. He kept his word to his players. And he takes over a team with, what, 13, 14, 15 starters coming back that's won 17 games the last two years. He was rewarded for doing it the right way, and he got a better opportunity than Purdue would have been. I like that. And, you know, it's funny when you watch their spring game, it looked exactly like what you see with Jerry Kill and Tracy Clay. It's just his personality. But I'm going to warn Iowa fans, you're going to get sick of him, just like you already are. Yeah, I'm done. I, I think he's being hired there at the perfect time. Ference is on his last lap around the track. We're much closer to his retirement than his next extension, let's be honest. You look at the rest of this division. You know, Pat Fitzgerald has a great personality to attract players, but he is heavily restricted academically in ways no other team in that division is. Paul Christ at Wisconsin uh, makes Bernie Sanders look like Gene Simmons from Kiss, all right? I mean, he's just no, there's no personality there at all. Meaning the time, Lovey Smith has no personality at all. His kind of personality is going to – he's going to get kids at Minnesota uh, that he normally wouldn't go, and he's going to be a recruiting pain in the arse to a lot of the stodgier, uh, more established coaches in that division. And, that, and, and he, uh, he, he, you're going to think about him the way you used to think about Brett Bielema, I believe. Yeah, he's, he's either going to be that or he's going to be Tim Brewster 2.0, so we'll see. Um, and I probably he's not going to be Tim Brewster, but he just is. He, I'm worn out. Uh, did you watch any of Wisconsin? No, I must have missed them completely. So they had their spring game yesterday too. Did I? Miss I have them? no. I listen. I have no idea. You're the one that watched all these. Yeah, I I, I think they're next week with Iowa. Okay, so you've got Iowa and Illinois next week. You missed Penn State. Uh, Illinois had theirs under the cover of darkness. Um, Indiana, Rutgers, and Maryland will be three that I you haven't talked Indiana. about. Yeah, Rutgers, I've not heard anything about. Maryland, I don't think, sat there yet either. I watched Indiana. I watched Purdue. That was on Thursday, wasn't it? Indiana was on a Thursday. Clever for them. They got a lot of good coverage for that. And um, what concerns me about Indiana is the offensive coordinator switch. I mean, from Kevin Wilson to a guy I know very well, Mike DeBoard. He was Michigan's offensive coordinator for several years. So I know, I know his strengths and his weaknesses. And... I, I, what worries me is we saw the same Richard Legau we saw last year. Gun for an arm, um, not always the best decision-making. We also didn't see a Jordan Howard, um, uh, you know, the kid before Jordan Howard, who's for the Atlanta Falcons now, who was a 2,000-yard back. Oh, yeah, I, I love that guy. He was so good, yeah. I can't remember his name. Yeah, the, the, DeWine kid, the, the, the DeWine kid or whatever his name was they had last. I didn't see a tailback with that level, the ability of the last three guys they had that could carry a team. Defensively, physically, I thought defensively that was the best-looking Indiana defense I've seen. I'm going to throw away back. Remember Van Waiters and the teams in the late 80s with Anthony Thompson and Dave Schnell when Bill Mallory was the coach, okay? And they actually played some defense. That's probably the last time Indiana played some defense in the late 80s. Guys like T. Gray Scales, and some, I think their defensive front guys are legit. I think they're going to be pretty good on defense. Well, I, I don't know that they'll be nearly as explosive on offense. Yeah, I'd say slow down a little bit because they were playing against the Indiana offense. That's true, but I'm, I noticed I went by how they looked. Right. They right. look. Now, they look like they got guys, they got dudes, dudes that could start for most of the other teams in the Big Ten. Right. Okay? And what really helped me this year is having enough time where I could actually – watch different teams. You know, one of the things I used to do every year at Iowa when Iowa State, when I used to put my show on the road for the uh, for the um, media days, is people loved it when I would do the eye test comparison between the two, okay? And so this actually gave me a chance watching these various games to do some eye testing. And Indiana looked physically on the defensive side of the ball in ways we're not accustomed to them looking. I'll say that, okay? Yeah, I was always uncomfortable when you rolled out the eye test stuff. I don't know why. It just made me 
it's uncomfortable. Purdue, um, Purdue looked like Purdue. I think I don't anticipate that uh, the new coach there from Western Kentucky. I don't. I don't see this as being a Joe Tiller, Billy. Uh, uh, who was the guy he had the first year that came out of nowhere? Kilmer, whatever that guy's yeah. name was. You know, I'm thinking of. And they went from a nothing program to you know getting to a bowl game with the new offense that he brought in. I don't think it's going to be like that. I I think this is going to take Danny Hope. Uh, no, I'm when Joe Tiller took over, he had a quarterback there that nobody had ever heard of. Oh, okay. Before the before the guy before Drew Brees, gotcha. and they ended up you know winning seven or eight games his first year. I don't think they'll be taking that kind of a leap. I okay. don't. Uh, and from what I saw, now I'll get a good look at Iowa this weekend, obviously. But from what I saw, other than Purdue and um, uh, and Illinois, I, I I think you can make a case that any other team in that division could win that division. I thought Nebraska's frontline players, by far looked the most overall impressive. But their depth guys are a big drop off. Okay, so, you know, I, I, they don't have the depth to, to over the course of eight or nine games where at some point in, in the conference, that's not gonna get exposed. Right, right. Um, before we go, let's switch over to Big Ten basketball real quick. Big, big news this last week, Miles Bridges, outstanding freshman, basketball player for Michigan State, a player who would have been selected in the first round, maybe in the lottery. He decided he was going to return to Michigan State for his sophomore year. And I felt without him that they were a team, they were a top 15 team, a team that probably would have been a top four seed next next March at probably the low end or maybe the expected end. With Bridges coming back, this is a team now that returns 82% of its minutes, nearly 80% of its scoring. But with him and Ward, I mean, this is going to be a very good team. I think one of the more talented Big Ten teams on paper preseason than we've seen in quite some time, a legitimate national championship team. And I was shocked that he came back. I don't know that I'd say they're one of the more talented Big Ten teams we've seen on paper in quite some time. Uh, Roll them out. uh, Well, I know Michigan just a couple years ago had six NBA players on their roster. Um, You had the Indiana team that that year that that went 15 and three in the Big Ten not two years ago, but uh, but um, their first Big Ten championship team that had um, yeah the uh, guy for the Magic and then the big tall white guy. Yeah, yeah, so. Certainly the, certainly the two years that of uh, the Trey Burke sophomore year when they went to the championship game and the next year when they won the league by three games, there were six, and six guys currently on NBA rosters on that, Michi- on that Michigan team. So I don't know that there's six guys on, the Mich- on Michigan State's next year roster that will be on NBA rosters. In fact, the history of, t- of guys under Izzo, it's kind of odd. You know, every coach – you know, even great ones, elite ones, you know, have certain weaknesses. And for whatever reason, guys tend to, their NBA stock, the longer they tend to be in East Lansing, tends to go down. I don't know why that is. That just tends to be the case. Um, I agree with you about the roster hanging in next year, though. I'm happy for the kid. You know I'm happy for him? I'm happy for him went to the NBA lottery, too. But you know why I'm happy for him is because, you know, regardless of what the decision is, when you're, when you're willing to make an against-the-grain decision, and I, and I don't think it would have been selfish to go take that money and run and earn your living at all, at all. But when you put off, um, so, I went, so he's not putting off being selfish because I don't, it's not selfish to do that, I don't think. But he is putting off, a, he and his family are putting off a certain level of, of materialistic reward because he never really got the true college experience this year. He was banged up throughout the course of the year. Michigan State had so many injuries in their front line. Nick Ward was the only scholarship player they had that was, that was taller than 6'8". And that's just not like most Michigan State teams. And it won't be like their team next year. Next year, they will have plenty of big guys. And, and so he never really truly got the one year he was planning, he thought he was gonna get with Michigan State. So I'm happy for him to put off that um, financial reward and say, you know what, I want to, I only got one more other, there's only so many chances to play in the NCAA tournament. I tasted it for one game. 
and we got and that and that was it. And and then we got then we got blown out the next one. So I applaud the kid for that. I think I think their team next year has the same question with or without him. And that is, will Cassius Winston develop into the point guard that they need? That's the question. I think that was the question before Miles Bridges came back, and I think it's the question now. And I think I think before came back, that's the difference between that between them winning the Big Ten championship or not. And now that he's come back, I think it's the difference between them winning the national championship or not, if you see what I'm saying. I think their ceiling is higher, John, but I think the the, the pertinent question remains. Cassius Winston has always been, I said it all throughout the season, and I'll say it going into next year. He is the key to them realizing their full potential or not. They will have more bodies up front, so it's not just Nick Ward against everybody's front line. They'll have more bodies. Um, you'll have now a, a lottery player on the wing, a more talented version of Mo Peterson, if you remember him when he was at Michigan State. But the question becomes, who's the Marcus Taylor? Who's the Mateen Cleaves? Okay, who's the, who's the floor general that puts the pieces together? And and I think that's up to Cassius Winston. I just think they're. I think it's the same question. I just think their ceiling is higher. Yeah, I think I think them in Minnesota are the you know as of right now, based upon what I think, uh, the two best teams now. Swanigan, Haas. I mean, they they didn't sign agents, so they. I mean, if those guys. Vince back, Edwards didn't sign an agent. They're, they're, they're bringing back their top six players from the Big Ten, undisputed Big Ten champions. They, they're, they're a preseason top five. And I, I would say at this point, if, if those guys come back, Purdue and Michigan State are both deserving of being preseason top five, top eight teams. I would say Minnesota's deserving of being a top eight to top 12 team. That's what I would say. Yeah, I don't disagree. All right. And, yep. I, and then depending on what happens, I think Iowa's the preseason top 25 team. Um, I think depending on what happens with Wagner and DJ Wilson, Michigan's a preseason top 25 team. By Northwestern. I, Northwestern's a preseason top 25 team. Yeah. Tell you what, what about Indiana? OG Ananobi's gone, but I think all the other guys, I think Bryant, Johnson, Blackman will all come back. Archie Miller's kept all three of their signees. And that team, with OG gone and everybody else back, they return, a t- they, they return very high percentages of production. Maryland returns pretty darn good percentages of production, but they lose, obviously, their point guard, so that'll hurt them. I mean, this is going to be a pretty good league. I agree. And, we're, we're, and what we'll have that we didn't have this year is I think you'll have, you'll have definitive tiers now. You're going to have a few teams that are clearly teams that can be number one seeds in the NCAA tournament, Purdue, Michigan State, Minnesota. Then you're going to have teams that are are your definite four to six, four five six seeds. Your Michigans, if those two guys come back, uh, your Northwesterns, your Iowas, and then you're going to have you know then you have your teams that are your eight nine ten seeds bubble type teams, and that's where I put Indiana, um, you know Maryland, etc. And and because now you've got a league with some real depth. This, this past year, that's what we did not have really. We just didn't have that this year. Indeed. All right, that'll do it for this installment of the HN Podcast. For Steve, I'm John. Thank you very much for listening.